0: Welcome to the Restaurant Boiler Room, Season 3, Episode 3. I'm your host, Rick Ormsby, Managing Director at Unbridled Capital. Today in the Boiler Room, I will be talking with Kevin Hockman, brand president of both KFC and Pizza Hut in the U.S. Kevin will share his perspectives on both brands, how business is going, what to expect post-pandemic, how both brands are evolving, what's happening within the franchise base of each brand, how the future will look, as well as other thoughts and topics. It should be a great listen. Hope you enjoy. The Restaurant Boiler Room is a one-stop shop for multi-million dollar merger and acquisition activity and financial complexities affecting the franchise restaurant industry. We talk money, deals, valuations, and risk, delivered to the front door of franchisees, private equity firms, family offices, large investors, and franchisors on a monthly basis. Feel free to find our content at Unbridled Capital's website at www.unbridledcapital.com. Now, let's enter the boiler room. As you know, Kevin is the president of both KFC and Pizza Hut in the United States. He's uh, just a fantastic individual as a person, if you know him. If you don't know him, you're going to get to know him a little bit more today. He as a businessman. His track record and his accomplishments, his accolades are second to none. And okay. hopefully we'll hear a little bit about that today, too. And, you know, Kevin, just welcome to, to the webinar. And thanks again for joining. It's pretty cool to have you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Rick. I listen to your podcast actually a lot when I run. You know, you don't update it that often, but I do listen to it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I try to do like once a month, you know, but uh, uh, maybe a little more frequently. But thank you, man, for being a listener uh, to it too. It's been been fun to do it. Here's kind of a quick discussion of what we'll go through today. I basically just wrote down, I mean, Kevin, we probably have like 20 questions that we'll just kind of go through. I've kept, you know, a certain portion of this audience is obviously going to be private equity, family office, and large franchisees that buy and sell things. So I kind of at the end, the, probably the last four or five questions are maybe geared more towards uh, kind of the franchisee space and some of the things that they might want to listen to and hear hear your perspective on. But but this is going to be mostly a brand discussion because I know everyone's going to want to hear uh, from you a little bit about kind of uh, you know your background and and about the brand. So if fire away, what excites you about these these businesses?
1: Well, you know the first thing I would tell you is like these are like household names, right? Everybody's heard of. KFC and Pizza Hut, when they see that logo on your shirt, they'll undoubtedly have some story about the brand or, you know, some type of food that they eat or how it's a part of their lives. I mean, who hasn't heard of Kentucky Fried Chicken or Pizza Hut, right? The second thing I tell you that's exciting about the businesses is they both have a really great trajectory right now. So on KFC, we just completed our seventh consecutive year of same-store sales growth, and, you know, we hope to complete an eighth consecutive year you know, on Pizza Hut, we had really a record year in twenty, uh, both on top line growth and resetting for all economics to be a really profitable business for our franchisees. We have very clear strategies on both. You know, and the last thing I tell you is like both of these brands are they're kind of a part of America, right? Like I was watching that show on the History Channel the other day, the Foods That Built America, and there's all these different rivalries, and sure enough, Pizza Hut showed up in you know the first episode. So. There's a lot to be excited to be working on these brands, both the fact that these brands have an upward trajectory and clear strategy, but also that they're just super famous and totally fun to work
0: on. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And you know, that's what attracted me to this industry. And I tell people who work for me and with me that if you make it like 18 months in this industry, you typically never leave because it's so exciting to work within these iconic brands that we can all remember from the time we were like two years old, eating from a bucket of chicken or eating a Eating from eating the pizza at pizza, so yeah, man, I, it had me hooked a, a long time ago. I can understand your your comments. You know, maybe maybe take this next question, and, and if if you can, yeah.
1: So, like one of my most proud about my journey at KSC. You know, it's probably about eight years ago. I was at, uh, interviewing with David Novak, who's was our first CEO, or actually our second CEO, but basically the founder of the company. It was it was like a snowy morning, and he's asking me all these questions and. Then he was like, Hey, you know, if you could choose what brand you wanted to run marketing on, you know, which one would it be, you know, and yum. And I said, I think you're probably going to think I'm crazy on this answer because like, I don't really want to work on Taco Bell. It's like a well-oiled machine. Even back then it was a well-oiled machine, right. And could do no wrong, like great strategy. Like all I can do is go in there and either, you know, row with everybody else or screw it up. And that wasn't that exciting to me, but like KFC, I was like, man, like this brand is such an amazing brand. And I think there's so much opportunity there and, It's something that like, I just like hard challenges and I thought I could help. And I was a little naive in my answer and, you know, call it seven plus years later and understanding what the challenges were. And it probably wouldn't be that easy, but, you know, I'm really proud to have been a part of, you know, turnaround of an iconic brand that's, you know, touches so many people's lives. You know, a year after I had started, this is before, you know, the rest of the story was written about KSC, Novak called me and he was like, Hey, you you know, are you really going to bring the curl back? And I'm like, yeah, boss. That's kind of the plan. And if it doesn't work, you'll get a new CMO one day. And I think he respected that. Um, I think people know me that like, no, uh, I do take risks, but usually it's pretty uh, well thought out risk, and we understand contingencies if those things don't work. And but that's probably the thing I'm most proud of at KFC is that you know this is a great brand, and it should be on center stage and be a leader in the industry. And you know we're getting back to that.
0: It's kind of a wild idea to put the kernel the way you you know you guys did it. It's so cool, though. It's like this retro cool kind of thing. I, I just, uh, I love it, man. It was a brilliant, brilliant idea. I think it had a lot, of, obviously had a ton of social media engagement and a lot of noise around it. And did you, you know, you're in it your prior life, didn't you work at P&G or didn't you work I, someone has always told me this. So, so if you didn't do this, just tell me you didn't. But that guy and the horse and the deodorant—did you have something to do with that in a prior you life? Did,
1: there's a lot of people that were involved in it. I was the marketing director on the business when that was kind of conceived. So, like, I can't take credit for coming up with the idea, or just you know, I'm a leader on the brand when that happened. But yeah, that's a, one of the most famous advertising campaigns in the history. It's a, you know, it's a great example of that brand. And I shared it with actually the franchisees on day 17 at the convention when I started at KSC. Is the idea that like this is an old it was an old tired brand and but had real great DNA about that brand like the thing about you know being a man and you know the idea of tradition and uh, all those and what it what does it mean to smell like a man and th- th- those are things that are really important even today even when it was conceived you know way back during World War II and we just had to bring it back in a more modern interesting way and you know clearly you know people my age on the hairy edge do we really understand their ads right but like if you're in the you know, anywhere from like the 12 to 40 year old scene, like you see those ads and you just think it's a really modern contemporary brand. You, you get the idea and the benefit of the brand. And it's definitely resuscitated. And there's no reason why these legacy brands like KSC and Pizza Hut, that have such strong DNA, those values and those things that they were built on, they're timeless. And there, and you see that when you bring them back and you you bring them back to the things that they were known for, but in a modern way, the business responds. And I think we've seen that on both businesses.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the questions here is, "What's your biggest challenge?" I know it's kind of a, a banal type of question to ask, but anything that comes to mind with either of the brands that's been particularly challenging for you? I mean, getting up and putting your feet on the ground in the morning is probably an answer. But
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know, challenges on those on both of the brands. I mean, they're they're legacy brands. They have huge, humongous footprints. Right? There's not a lot of standardization across some of the units and the strategy is usually not the hardest part of you know figuring out these brands it's really about the execution how do you get there over time and how do you make sure that you're doing that in partnership with the franchisees who really know the business even better than the franchisor at times and then just making sure that things are you know, well tested but moving fast without you know being uh, irresponsible with money or people's resources and you always want to just make all the change overnight because it's clear what you, needs to get done but it takes a while right so now, how do you be how do you like move fast but still be patient And uh, how do you make sure that you know the things that you roll out are you know have a high probability of working and i was commenting the other day of the guys that i brought over the pizza hut the the work there it's not an easy job at all but we've already made a lot of mistakes on ksc that we don't have to recreate like we don't make them on kfc anymore but we certainly don't have to port them to this other brand and you know just the experience and being able to spend time with the franchisees and they teach you the brand You know, it makes those challenges a little bit easier, right? Because you got you know large teams that want you to win, and they'll do whatever it takes to help the brand win because they have a big stake in it too. So, yeah, that's what I I think
0: I'd say. What the biggest challenge is? Yeah, and it's interesting. Franchisees are a great place, and they'll tell you their opinion real quickly, won't they? (laughs) Um, Yeah,
1: which is a good thing. I'd rather know it. I'd rather know it before it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the franchise bases between these two brands are pretty or have been historically pretty different. Now they're changing. And we'll talk more about this. And those of you who listen to some of the resources we put out know that KFC was largely a brand started by smaller franchisees, the Colonel driving around making handshake deals across the country with a small owner operator who, uh, you know, who was going to own one store location. And then Pizza franchisees kind of started in Wichita, Kansas, and they took out big swaths of the country and still to this day have less than hundred franchisees. So managing the franchise bases is definitely different, but the learnings are still the same. And the DNA of these people across these different brands are are very similar. So that's really neat. Yeah, it's really neat. Well, let's see, give us some highlights from your journey at Pizza Hut, which has been a little more recent than what you've been doing at KFC. And what are you most proud of and biggest challenge? And same question, uh, you know, how's the brand position for the future?
1: Yeah. You know, the, I've been at about 16 months now on Pizza Hut, um, as an interim president. And, you know, I, the first thing I tell you is like there's a lot of the same challenges I think we saw at KFC, you know, some things are different, but at the core, you know, getting back to the things that made Pizza Hut great. So, um, it's always been a brand, uh, that's had iconic pizzas that are built on really awesome customer insights. And, you know, we would set the trend on things. So like, for example, we want to get into delivery and carry out versus just dine in. And so they invented this idea of a pan pizza that retained heat that could be eaten off premise in a much higher quality than a you know a thin crust. A lot of people think we're only pan pizza. The first pizza on pizza was actually a thin crust pizza and was really designed for just the dining occasion. Right. And then, you know, we found we did research and found, you know, customers don't like eating the crust because it's boring. Right. And. So we started stuffing cheese in the crust so that you'd eat it all, right? And that was 25 years ago, right? And then we have, you know, competitors 25 years later, we'll copy. And we've got to be on to the next thing, like Detroit style. So one of the things I think that we've done a really good job is is spending time early on with the franchisee leadership in Wichita, where where you just said earlier that the brand was born, to understand what makes this brand so special. And then how are we going to take those things and make them modern and contemporary and relevant again? And I think, you know, we've had some, obviously, tailwinds because of COVID and the pizza industry. But I think if you talk to the pizza franchisees, some of that growth also was from the strategy changes. And, uh, you know, that's exciting. Right? That's like, to me, to be able to come in and take the things that we've learned in another business and be able to rapidly apply that to something that is similar but different. And then having really good results early on, you know, it's been really exciting. Like, you know, it's energizing to see that. And then vice versa, there's tons of things I'm learning on the Pizza Hut business, especially in the e-commerce space and apps and all the things that we need to accelerate on KSC. And it's really helping me as a leader and helping our teams because we don't have to repeat the things that we learned on Pizza Hut. So, you know, you know, how long will this happen? You know, it's, there's going to be an end to it. So I'm not saying that this, you know, this is a, a sustainable thing long term. But certainly the value that we're getting on both businesses, at least from my lens, has been really, really awesome.
0: I think it's I think it's a fantastic point for years, Kevin, and this isn't for you to comment. This is just Rick talking on the side, you know, Rick's own opinions here. But for years, I've been of the opinion and I've told people this somewhat in jest, but somewhat seriously that I probably know all the franchisees across the three brands. I'm probably maybe the only person in the world who knows all the franchise, basically all the franchisees in KFC Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. And the reason why I would always say that is because these businesses were so segmented acro- away from each other, right? And there's really nobody who knew the inner workings of the different franchisees within the sister brands. And m- many times doing deals and things, you see it much more uh, stark than that, that they're kind of territorial. And I love what you're saying about KFC and Pizza Hut, uh, you know, garnering the learnings from the different brands and applying them across one another. Because to your point, I love KFC like I've loved it ever since I, 1999 when I, or 2000 when I started uh, working there. But, but um, you know, Pizza Hut is a fantastic, iconic brand. I love the fact that you're sharing, sharing from the top level, sharing learnings and franchisees input across the brands. It's awesome. Just really awesome. Can only make, make us stronger. It has to be yeah. that way. Yeah, so we'll go on to a couple of more questions. What about this darn chicken sandwich? I mean, gee, Monique, eat Christmas! It was—I mean, you know—it was. A, I, I was down in Miami, and of course, we—you know—we do a little bit of business in those brands, but but we're very loyal, obviously, to the KFC brand and the chicken space. What what Popeyes did uh, with a, some a tweet and some good products was just were just amazing. And uh, what do you think about that in KFC and in the chicken sandwich?
1: Well, I think there's definitely a trend in the industry right now where customers are going to be willing to pay for a high-quality product, right? Like, you know, I think there for years it was always this mindset of like we always going to have like very very sharp value, and that's going to be on air, you know, 52 weeks of the year, and you still have to have great value. But there's two, you know, there's two parts of the equation of value. There's price, which is one, and then quality, right? Quality and what you get for the price and I think, you know, the Popeye stuff just illuminated the idea that that's still really true, right? Like you make great products and you price them right and people will come and you'll see, you know, incredible growth. You know, at KSC, you know, we just have to, we have a vision. We want to be a brand that people continue to trust and and, and want to frequent. We have four pillars on that and how we're thinking about uh, being more and more competitive in the marketplace. One is we need to have a more relevant menu uh for modern needs of customers we call it modern comfort right so we've always been a comfort food but people's you know version of comfort food is different so if you're an older customer comfort food was fried chicken on sundays if you're a younger customer it's probably like burgers and chicken tenders and chicken sandwiches right and so we have to evolve our menu to meet the the needs of a modern customer and while still not abandoning our core customer which you know still continues to pay most of the white bills and the second thing we're working on is a safe operational experience, which we, which means secure, accurate, fast, and easy. Do you think these are the keys that we have to be consistent on at all 4,000 KFCs? No matter where you are in the country, no matter what time of day you come, you always get a safe, accurate, fast, and easy experience from us. The third is we are on a, a mission to finish the, uh, the update of our estate um, and to get to a modern American showman. We call it the American showman remodel, as well as build new stores. Um, And then lastly, we've got some investments in technology in our business that will help us future-proof it. So, you know, what I tell you is I think, you know, we have a really focused strategy. You know, Popeye's going to do what they're going to do. We're going to do what we're going to do. That said, we have a kickback sandwich we just launched uh, that I encourage everybody to go out and get. um, uh, But that is a part of becoming a more relevant brand with a more relevant
0: menu. It's a great, I think it's a great answer, and I'm going to make a comment that's going to divert a little bit from the comments you just made. But for those of you who are listening, I'm I'm really happy because you know most of the time when we're doing these webinars and things, we're talking about things like EBITDA and tax and legal issues and you know cap rates and real estate values and these things. But it's really refreshing, and for those of you who are sitting in New York or wherever you might be in a tall building, listening to you know listening to other you know data and information. It's more than just EBITDA when you're talking about these businesses, right? And Listen to what Kevin's saying about the importance of the customer and the importance of the products. And and that has to be part of what gets you excited about this type of a business. And if it doesn't, then it's just going to look like any other, you know, you know, type of business that you might invest in. And that that ultimately will 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 make it less meaningful and you'll be less successful at it. So sorry for the you know, left turn out of out of nowhere. But, but you know, Rick, it
1: all comes down to four-wall economics. You're absolutely right. You know, the reality is if it wow's well, the customer and you do it in a smart way, you're going to, you're going to improve those four-wall economics. But if you don't wow the customer, it's going to go the wrong direction, right? But at the end of the day, you need a business that's really going to resonate with the customer that makes sense you know, from a margins perspective and a labor perspective. And it's all connected, right? But if you don't win the customer, I think it's over time going to be real tough
0: long-term to have good four-wall economics. Yeah, that's that's right. The economics have to come a close second to the customer, or else you're not going to have the customer. Right, but they right. all work. They all work together. All in yeah,
1: EBITDA. So I, you know, I. You know, one of the reasons why I listen to your podcast is to learn more about that stuff. So <laughs>
0: it's funny. My kids were talking to me the other day. They said, Dad, the word you say the most in your life is, and I'm thinking, uh oh, what are they going to say? I hope they're not saying a cuss word or something else. Right. They say, EBITDA. You say EBITDA all the time. And I and, and I said, Well, do you know what EBITDA is? And, and, you know, neither of them did. My 16 year old almost got it right. I mean, she's pretty sharp. She's like, earnings before, you know, and then she kind of started fumbling. My son was like, I don't know what it is, you know? <laughs> okay. So back to another question, Pizza Hut. I mean, that's what I think of a Pizza Hut, right? It's a marketing giant. It's always had great products. You talk about 25 years ago with the stuff crust pizza. I remember David Robinson, I went to the Naval Academy, David Robinson turns the pizza yeah. around backwards and he eats it and we're all shocked, right? Uh, and I know this is a part of what you do really well. So how do you build? how do you build upon that with the future?
1: Well, you know, uh, it is about, you know, the core of Pizza Hut was, you know, when it was started, pizza wasn't even a thing. So the Midwest, like they weren't, didn't really know what pizza was. And so Pizza Hut created a version of pizza that became the gold standard for pizza, right? Which was this thin crust pie that they had invented. And then over the years, they invented these other pizzas to respond to changing customer needs, right? When pizza it's at its best, they're creating and marketing pizzas that you can't get anywhere else, like literally anywhere else. And we're going to bring back some of those favorites and re-promote them like pan and stuffed crust. And then we're going to create new ones that you haven't seen before, like, you know, the Beyond Sausage Pizza. We were the first national chain to bring a plant-based protein pizza nationally to market. And then, you know, most recently we had incredible success with our Detroit style LTP, which, uh, you know, that was one where it was like it reminded me a lot of Nashville hot on KSC where most people hadn't heard of that product unless you lived in Nashville or unless you lived in Detroit. um you could get a rendition of it in in food circles. So whether it was in New York or l a or Chicago, everybody had a good rendition of Detroit style or a good rendition of Nashville hot. But nobody had taken it to market to really democratize that trend. And uh, it's something. that's funny. I learned in my in the beauty business when I worked in I worked in CoverGirl Cosmetics for twelve years, huh. and that's a drugstore brand where like you buy like a mascara for like five bucks, right? But anybody that really knew that industry, you always watched prestige. So you, you go, you watch where, you know, people would go into a department store and buy you know a mascara for thirty five dollars and say, well, what was so special about it? Say, How do I bring that trend to the masses at an affordable price across twenty thousand you know food drug mass grocers? where you could just blow it out, right? And this business is like, there's some of that same similarity in that like, people want familiar discovery. Like they don't want the same old thing. They want something with, but they don't want something that's too crazy. It's something a little wrinkle. And in those two examples, those just had a little bit of wrinkle that created excitement back in their pizza experience or back in their fried chicken experience. And, you know, we've done a great job of that with, you know, both the beyond stuff and then the Detroit style. And we got a bunch of stuff in the pipe that we're working on. That I get really excited about pizza. Now, there's more to the story of pizza than just pizzas, and we'll get into that. I know you have a couple more questions, but that's been the heritage of the brand, and I think that will continue to be thing that separates it in the market versus, you know, our two other major competitors. Is that we market pizzas that you can't get anywhere else that are really based on very finite customer needs. And when we do that well with great pizzas, we win. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to continue.
0: That's fantastic, fantastic. Uh, I'm a big Pizza Hut f- fan, and you know, you may not know this, uh, Kevin, but but you know, I, I think the numbers escape me, but probably over the last couple of years, our you know, unbridled has maybe sold 600 Pizza Huts for 13 or 14 franchisees across the country, and the Pizza Hut brand is one where just by nature, there's a l- fewer franchisees. Even if you take NPC and Greg Flynn's acquisition out, the average franchisee has over 50 restaurants. So. It creates the perfect type of investment for someone who comes in from the outside who wants to be a franchisee and wants something large enough to be able to operate with a professional team. Yeah. KFC is not so much that way, even though there are opportunities like that. But but the audience that we're talking with here probably largely likes to hear the Pizza Hut story because they those are the types of investments that if they make, they're going to be interested in. And you've seen it in the franchisee base, right, in Pizza Hut over the last couple of years. And a lot some of it predated you by a year or so, all the larger groups that have kind of been getting into the system. So thanks for your focus on Pizza Hut too. And it says, Pizza Hut is in a time of transition to better digital delivery assets, new franchisees, the future for strengthening the Pizza Hut brand? I think part of this you've already answered, but uh, anything else you you might you might you point know, out?
1: I think there are two other things that we're working on that I think will really unlock a lot of growth on Pizza Hut. One is uh, taking our technology to the next level. You've made some pretty big investments uh, in technology, and we've made some pretty good improvements in technology, but we still have an opportunity to be more frictionless uh, and reliable for our customer, which basically means fewer clicks to be able to order a pizza yeah. uh, and just making it a whole lot easier to navigate. And, you know, the reality is our app and our website and our mobile website, like that's basically our storefront now for the customer, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. uh, we're partnering right now with the franchisee leadership to make sure we have world-class digital user experience, as well as upgrade the back of house technology, which is going to just make it easier to run a pizza. So I'd say that's one big pillar. In addition to the pizza strategy I talked about earlier, I think the other one is we've got, you know, some work on upgrading the estate, right? And, you know, you have a kind of baked into, the, into your question about more delivery assets, like clearly over time, the business continues to move to more off-premise, you know, carry out and delivery. And we, we, you know, we tend to have faster payouts with, you know, our Delco units or delivery carry out units. But that said, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we're also gonna have to make sure that we're ready to welcome diners back for those restaurants that still have dine-in. And some of those restaurants have a decent amount of mix and dine-in, right? So, you know, we're gonna have to continue to evolve the estate both to migrate to this more of this off-premise focus for some of these stores. And then make sure that we still have a very relevant dining experience for those stores that have such a big dining mix that even post-pandemic, there are things that we're going to have to support, right? So, but it's an exciting time. I mean, there's, you know, a lot more liquidity in the system right now based on the, the progress that we've made on the four-wall economics of the business and the trajectory of the business. And, you know, I think there's a lot of things that we're go- you're going to see from Pizza Hut that are exciting in terms of, you know, upgrading the estate and getting back to building again, because you know, the people that are in our system know that, you know, we're our brand on the way up right now. Um, and it's an exciting time to be a part of the brand.
0: That's great. That's great. I didn't know about the thin crust pizza. We did. I'll tell you a quick story. We did sell a, a 110 pizza huts, I believe for Bob Geist, who uh, was one of the original franchisees in Wichita. And he was a, uh, I think the assistant greenskeeper or working, uh, watering the greens next in Wichita state next to the first pizza hut. Wow, and wow. he said, and, and I said, well, you know, Bob, how'd you, you know, I always ask people this, how'd you get involved in your brand, whether it's KFC or Taco Bell or pizza, whatever brand it is. And he goes, well, I was on the 18th green at, you know, whatever o'clock in the morning, watering the green. And I was looking over and there was this line on a Friday night of all these kids going in to eat pizza and drink beer at Pizza Hut. And so he he said, I, 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 I right away wanted to get involved in the brand. He was a student at Wichita State. And he said, And and when asked where I wanted to do it, he said, well, the kids like it so much. I want to go to a place with with a lot of colleges, you know, and you know what state he came up with. He goes, North Carolina. He goes, they play a lot of basketball, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Duke, you know, Wake Forest, all these schools. So that's how I mean, isn't that a neat story? You know, just stories like that are crazy.
1: Oh, they're amazing. We uh, the former chairman of the IPH board is the pizza board, uh, Bill Walsh, uh, that was in 2020. They rotate every year so he ended his term last December. When we first got on the business, he actually had us fly out to Wichita uh, just to show us the brand with a bunch of other franchisees. And he took us to that first Pizza Hut that's now a museum on the museum. Wichita State campus. campus. Took us through the history of the brand, you know what made the brand tick. Tells a lot of stories about how he got involved uh with the Carneys and uh and worked in the you know the original Pizza Hut. And it's you know it's awesome. Like the all these brands have amazing, amazing histories, and it's really important to get in touch with them so you understand what makes the brand sick and what made them successful. Because guess what? It's probably going to make them successful in the future if you find ways to contemporize it. So, but uh, yeah, Bill, yeah, Bill's got a, a, a million amazing stories, and every time I see him, he tells me a new one.
0: He's got man, he's that guy's got more stories than a than a book, man. I yeah. tell you what, he's awesome. He's awesome. Well, great. This is going great. I'm. I didn't know the answer to these questions that you're answering, so I'm learning alongside everybody else here. Next one would be: How are KFC and Pizza Hut different from a franchisee and cultural standpoint? Maybe we touched on this a little bit already, but any thoughts on that one?
1: Well, I think your structural points right. Like, there tends to be larger, actually, larger franchisees with more stores in the Pizza Hut system than the KFC system. There's a whole bunch of reasons of why that is, but it, you know, over time, that's basically the way it's played out. So I I think that's probably the biggest difference, to be honest with you, because I probably view them more similarly than different in that, like, they have similar views of the business, you know, they're looking for long term profitable growth, they, you know, they want to be a part of co designing the programs, because they have a lot of unique insights, because they run all those restaurants that we don't have, or we try to acquire, right, you know, labor and in the operation continue to be a focal point. So how do we eliminate work and pantry skews that don't make the guest experience better or don't create value for the guest? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we make it easier to run the restaurant, but still maintain that high quality that the guest expects? You know, there's always a big push on both brands about how do we keep our core products as as good as they possibly and competitive as they possibly can be within the market marketing structures of the business. And then even on things like newfound things like digital, like both are pushing for aggressive digital adoption. Because they're seeing it, they're seeing how it's been growing people's businesses and they, we want to, you know, a piece of that. Clearly Pizza Hut is a little bit ahead of the game because it's in the pizza business, but you see a lot of the same themes and it's really about long-term sustainable, you know, business growth. And, you know, that's my intention. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I get along with the leadership of both businesses is I have that same, you know, as a, as a Yum! Franchisor, I have that same mindset, which is how do we make sure that we're growing your business for the long-term? in a way that's sustainable and profitable so that you'll want to continue to reinvest in the business and help grow our mutual business together. So I actually see there's more similarities and differences with the exception of that structural point that you brought up earlier.
0: Well, and I'm thinking about it from my perspective too, you know, the way I know these franchisees and their, and their wives and their kids and their dogs and everything else. I mean, despite the fact that there is a, a, you know, exempting the largest KFC franchisees, there's a you know, different in terms of size, you know, their DNA is really pretty similar. I mean, they, these guys are, they're, they're middle America type of people with, with similar values and similar thought patterns, uh, you know, similar ways to run a business. So I think even from the way I see it, other than just the unit count of the average franchisee, there are a lot of similarities just by who they, you know, who they are. And it's interesting. There's not really that much cross-pollinization between the two franchisees. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, I can, you know, in my mind's eye, I think of like two, maybe three who own really own both brands, not just like own a TP, like a KPX right. or have a pizza Hut license and a KFC or someone who might have a KFC and have, you know, one pizza hut. But there's not as much uh, cross pollination of the two brands, which is interesting, too. But but they're very similar in that way in kind of the way they grew up. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: A, I mean, I think there's an advantage, certainly to like if you're going to own 50 stores to be in one concept versus two. I mean, there's scale there, there's, you know, ease of operation and training, all that stuff is important, right? It's when you get to those, you know, the bigger franchisees, like, you know, I think you brought up Flynn earlier, where you're just not going to, you're just not going to have that kind of exposure in just one brand. And, but you're going to have, you know, fairly large organizations across all those businesses. Someone asked me that question the other day, that exact question, which is like, how do you know, like, are you better off doing a couple brands or just one brand? And yeah. Really, you know, I think there comes a point where depending on how big you are, you're better off probably focusing on one brand. And then, you know, if you get, you get to be a size of Flynn, you can't possibly be one brand, right? So, um, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: but you know, it's an interesting observation that you see from your lens that there isn't as much cross pollination as you would expect because it's, you know, all within a young family.
0: Yeah yeah that's for sure and i think i think to your comment i think it is your comment from a minute ago is is a discussions that i'm involved in basically every day which is how should you grow in a franchise brand and you know i pretty consistently give a blanket piece of advice which is to To pick one brand and grow with it to a certain scale and then to think otherwise, you know, because if you are going to be a small franchisee of multiple brands, it's really difficult to do. It's very difficult to to know and to operate that way. You know, I've got an uncle who owns like two Hampton Inns, a Days Inn, a Wendy's, a BP, a Huddle House, a Steakhouse, all at one exit in Kentucky, And I look at him and I'm like, I don't know how on earth you can do all of that. Like, how do you keep up with all of the FDDs and all the procedures and operating manuals and training people? And it's a tough thing to do. And for that reason, I think, you know, get involved in one brand, grow in one brand. If you have, uh, you know, the right chops, get into another. But I think it's a good point. How about how about products? We love new products. Anything you can speak about? I know a lot of this stuff you can't speak about, but. Any new products or ideas across either brand that, that you could talk about?
1: Yeah, you know, I can't really tell you about future products. You know, we just launched our, our new Kentucky Fried Chicken Sandwich, which is you know, super exciting for us. Uh, critically important segment uh, in the population. You know, 40% of chicken servings are chicken sandwiches. A huge upside for us. Uh, we launched our fries during the pandemic, which have done quite well and are now our number one side very quickly, uh, which will certainly make us a more modern brand with a portable sandwich. Um, we're doing a lot of work on tenders and sauces right now on Pizza Hut. You know, I think everybody saw the Detroit style yeah. um, did really well. You know, I, I would be surprised if we bring that back, um, you know, when we're ready to bring it back. Um, we've got another huge pizza coming in May that I can't share that uh, will feel new to the world, which is super exciting. You know, the way we think about new products, Rick, is it's all about, it all comes down to like improving, you know, EBITDA. And so there's four lenses that are, teams work on on both brands. One is, does it resonate with the customer? Because if it doesn't, it's not going to sell, right? Um, Two, are we able to execute it consistently across thousands of stores? Um, And so the builds and how things are put together is critically important. If it's too complex, the answer is going to be no, it won't be able to be consistent. It doesn't matter if it tastes great in the food kitchen here, you know, if it it can't execute it consistently across thousands of stores, it's not going to matter. Uh, Is it profit accretive? Uh, ideally, that's through both margin expansion and incremental customers coming into the restaurant for that new food product. And then what I call, I coined this term pantry skew responsible. So is any added complexity in pantry skews worth the size of prize? So you know, Detroit style is an example where those were three new SKUs. And so it had to be a sizable layer for us to be excited about it, right? Versus like, if you're just bringing in a new sauce, the bar is a bit lower on what needs to deliver. It still has to be significant and drive sales, but you know, the, the, the size of prize, the, the weight of its shoulders on that initiative is going to be as big. And if we do those four things. The franchisees are going to be excited because they're going to be making more money and selling more pizzas or selling more chicken. Right? So, you know, a lot of times like we overcomplicate innovation and, I think if you do those four things right, it's kind of my checklist when I look at plans that the teams bring to me. You know, we're going to win and we're going to continue to see new innovation in this category because I'm not the only one that knows that formula, like a lot of our great competitors do too.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the comment about fewer SKUs and using existing products and having a threshold, bringing in new things. You know, when I moved to Florida last year, we had lived in Kentucky for 20 some odd years and you start moving and you realize how much you accumulate, you know, it's just embarrassing. And yeah. sometimes I look at the menu boards at some of, you know, heck KFC has been a guilty party over the years, but any, any brand you, you go look at the menu boards and on it. You can't, you can't figure it out if you had a PhD. And so menu simplicity is, is, a, is a good thing. A good thing it's another reason why you
1: got to get your uncle out of some of those concepts totally totally
0: yeah totally he ain't gonna listen to me you know. <laughs> but yeah it's interesting yeah totally so true um so how have the kfc and pizza brands adapted during the pandemic you know i had a couple of email questions uh, about these types of types of things so not only how have you ad- uh, adapted or evolved during the pandemic but you know how has it ch- has this the change that's gone on going to last forever or, or what's going to happen
1: well, you know, we think that some of those changes will last forever, you know, like, for example, if you get used to ordering digitally, are you really ever going to go back to the slower way? Right. Like, like, for example, in pizza, are you ever going to call another pizza restaurant once you've set up the app and used it? And so how easy it is? Of course not. Right. It's like, it's like going back to a horse and buggy instead of using the car. Right. So I think some of these things will change forever. Right. Like. That certainly the digital adoption has been there, and I think our competitors know that. That's why you're seeing, you know, I call extremely competitive activity, trying to get folks in the digital adoption, whether it's just a member of your CRM program or actual app download. But once you're in that ecosystem, and you know, I don't know if you guys have probably seen this, but like, it's a there's a clear, you know, direct correlation. The deeper you get in the ecosystem, the more you buy from a brand, and Hmm. everybody knows that. And so everybody's, you know, on a mission to get you further down that path, right? I don't think that's going to change. I think the innovation that we've seen in access channels across the businesses. So for example, on Pizza Hut, we were the first national player to stand up uh, curbside carryout and so say, why is that a big deal? It's like, well, remember that first couple months during the pandemic, like people were afraid to go into stores and being able to stand up, you know, a quick way to be able to you know, click a button on your app and have someone come up and just load it into your trunk or load it in the back of your car without ever having to leave your car, the safety of your car. Say, so, well, that's not that big a deal. You can go through the drive-thru. Well, pizza doesn't really have drive-throughs. We have 1,400 stores that have drive-throughs, and we've now rerouted the app for those stores. You'll go through the drive-thru instead of doing curbside carryout, which is drive-thru is much more labor efficient, right? But like that's an example where I think in general, this idea of like ease of access, whether it's order ahead and quick pickup, getting the drive-thru to go faster, using drive-throughs in pizza, you know, that's a we certainly have a lead versus our competitors on drive-thru windows. All of those things to make it easier to either go faster or to not have to leave your car, I think a lot of that will be here to stay, right? And as long as we can continue to innovate against that and be ahead of the curve, I think we're going to continue to win on that, right? You know, KSC, you know, an example for KSC during the pandemic that changed was one, getting the drive through to get even faster. So we just won an award. I forgot the company, It was an award, but the company, some company did this third party study and published it and it was all about drive-through speeds and um, we were always pretty good on that list and we actually improved even though a ton more business was going through the drive-through because of the pandemic because a lot of lobbies were closed or people didn't want to go into lobbies for carry out right and the other thing was the digital adoption even in fried chicken you know our mix went up exponentially overnight with the stand up of these aggregators and then having our own um, our own kfc.com site so i don't see that retreating i see that actually getting bigger in 21 and building off incredible growth in twenty, so I think those things are here to stay. You know, are is some of this stuff going to retreat as um, restaurants open again? Of course, right. But I think these the habits that have changed in terms of how you order, how you pick up your food. I think it's hard to go back if you've already kind of lined up on that. And I think the smart players in the industry will take advantage of that and continue to position themselves for, for winning.
0: I think it's a great insight, you know, because uh, the horse and buggy versus the car insight, we were forced to, our family, learn these apps that we otherwise might have punted down the road and not had to learn. Now that we know them and learn them, we we don't see ourselves going back to the old way, right? So it's a, that's a really, that's a really good thing. And, you know, these brands, for those of you who don't invest or own KFCs or or Pizza Huts, just broadly speaking, both platforms within uh, QSR have done really well during the pandemic. KFC was a very portable, very transferable bucket of chicken, if you think of it that way, that could feed a family that carries and sits well and, you know, and you can hold it for a little bit of time. And that was probably, probably advantageous. Pizza Hut in and, and the pizza brands, it's obvious that they did well during the pandemic too. But this QSR increase in sales and profits was very uneven. You might be interested. Kevin, that, uh, you know, a lot of the burger brands, some of them are kicking butt, but some of the other burger brands just really saw no lift at all during the pandemic. Uh, Some of them actually retracted a little bit. Maybe, maybe a lot of it was because of the breakfast performance. Some of it just because of the competition, but very different.
1: To me, there was like four different, like vectors on that, like whether you did well or not, like one was just the type of food that you're in. Right. So in our two brands, they're kind of designed to already be eaten off premise, right? Like, you know, it's a bucket of chicken and sides that are already packed out, you know, to be able to just they're essentially meant to be brought home and unpacked and eat at a dinner table. Right. Or in front of the TV pizza is certainly the same way with the pizza box and the way the pizza has been constructed. It's been designed to be brought home and eaten. You know, so I think that was one vector of like whether you did better or not, if your food was already kind of set up for success or could you quickly pivot to make your food set up for success? Another one is I think the you know your access channels. So certainly delivery transactions because they're in an early part of the pandemic. People are like, I don't want to leave my home, right? And well, that's a pretty easy way to get food. If you had delivery channels set up that were priced competitively, and certainly the major pizza players have very competitively priced uh, delivery channels, you're going to win in that. Um, drive-through is another one where you know if you have a drive-through you don't have to leave your car. The safety of your car it's much easier to get your food in a more preferable way. And you know, there's some, so, you know, some of the concepts that have multiple drive-throughs did even better than the ones that just do drive-throughs, right? Then I think you have like just the reaction to the pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. you know, tend the bigger brands tend to do a a better job of being able to get the PPP out there, get really clear on on the, you know the types of things that we need to do in order to keep guests and team members safe and. Um, I think customers were really noticing that, especially early on in the pandemic were much more noticing versus maybe some smaller restaurants or even Mm -hmm. independents that didn't have that kind of slick way of making sure that the teams were safe and the customers were safe, right? And then I just think like just evolution of the menu and just making sure that you were on top of bigger group meals and people were eating together that weren't normally eating together. you know. And I think some of that, that last one will probably retract, right? But you know, I think those were the four big vectors. And I think you mentioned day parts, which is probably a fifth. Certainly, you know, if you were dependent on people going to work for your day part, that was going to be challenged. And that will likely come back as people go back to work, at least most of it, depending on some flex working. But I think that was really what drove you know, some of the different concept results. And you know, fortunately, for our two
0: concepts, we were on the better end of a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing. For sure. 100%. 100% both brands have been beneficiaries. So yeah. Can you keep them? Can you keep them? Can you keep these incremental uh, customer visits, these, uh, these incremental customers, these, these uh, the sales momentum, is it, is it broadly speaking something that, that, that can happen or not?
1: Yeah. You know, I think some of it will stick and some of it, we we can do some things to make it stick and some of it, you know, might retract. So um, you know, the digital stuff, we just have to continue to put gas on, uh, on both of the brands on making sure the app and the website and Everything is working as you know as sharply as it can. You know, we just stood up in KFC. We just launched our first ever app in the U.S. and it's had had incredible success so far. Uh, all new website. Just making it sure that the digital channels one have the correct funding and the correct infrastructure, and we're, we're driving them through all of our channels. I think that's going to stick and continue to grow. I think this idea of like different channels of access that make it easier or faster to get your food the way you want it. So, for example. You know, uh, I think on Pizza Hut, you know, we have 14 or 1,500 now drive-through windows, which are much easier to execute than a, than a curbside carryout. But I think even both of those channels are likely here to stay on pizza. You know, we already had the drive-through on KSC. The big opportunity there is really about how, how much faster and easier can you make the click and collect experience or the order ahead and, and be able to, to deliver the food to the customer at the restaurant faster. But I think, you know, we're on top of that. I think we're going to continue to grow in that too. And then I think in de- from a development standpoint, I think you're going to see probably some smaller dining rooms, right? Yeah. More, you know, restaurants that are designed for off-premise and-
0: um, Double double drive throughs, maybe, you know, two, two drive-thru lanes potentially, I mean. With, uh, wait, if you, you know, if
1: that, if that speeds up the drive-thru,
0: absolutely. But I think
1: that's going to create valuation because those restaurants are they're easier to operate. They have lower OPEX that traditionally tend to be a little less expensive to build. And I think it'll allow more growth because you're just going to be able to be in more spaces, right? So, uh, you know, we're very excited about the future, even with some of the retraction of some of those tailwinds. There's still a lot of those things that are going to stick for a long time.
0: That's great. Thanks, a good answer. We've got uh, 10 minutes here. And so let's pick a couple of these. New unit growth. How do you, what do you see happening on that front with KFC and Pizza Hut going forward?
1: Well, it's certainly interest of interest to me and our, our company. You know, it's a, the two big sources of growth for our business is comp growth, same store sales growth, and then new unit growth. You know, the, the one thing that I really charge my teams on that will help with both of those is just continuing to drive forward economics, right? Like, the the more EBITDA these stores can spit out, the more people will want to build versus just buy, and the the bigger our system will get, right? And so we're squarely committed on that. On a secondary note, you know we have incentives on KSC right now. The KSC franchisees are well aware of that. Are excited to help make paybacks faster. We're working on something similar with the Pizza Hut system, which you know already starting at some pretty good paybacks really accelerate that. Right. So I think between really being laser focused on sustainable uh, growing four wall economics, and then having the right you know new build packages with the right incentives in place, you know I get very excited about. The future of growth, and I, we're seeing it from our franchisees. I mean, they are really excited about growing this business, both organically within the existing stores as well as with new stores.
0: It's great. I love your answer about wanting to build the unit economics in a way that people want to build more units. That's
1: yeah. That's the bold like goal. The-, the bold goal is how do we make every unit cheaper to build than to buy an existing one? Which I know you probably don't love, but
0: what are you talking really about, good, man?
1: It's a really good <laughs> mantra, and it gets my team focused on what's important for the franchisees.
0: Well, especially in the Taco Bell space, Kevin, my goodness, to buy a Taco Bell, I mean, the prices sometimes on a per unit basis are so high that you could build three stores. And, you know, <laughs>
1: for that's that price, right. if and you I could find this. Dirt. Mike Graham's you know. going to give me a kiss on the cheek, but he, it, it probably is
0: cheaper to build than buy right now in Taco Bell. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's unfortunately true. Well, here's a couple of more. Um, what advice would you give to a potential franchisee, uh, you know, of, of either brand who, who may be listening and isn't a franchisee right now? You know, I, I think it's about
1: getting involved in the community uh, of those brands. Uh, you know, and, you know, there's there's some national groups that, you know, that work closely with the corporation, but then there's, um, they typically have regional associations that you get a better sense of what your challenges are in your area. You know, one of the ways I've learned the business over the years has really been traveling to all those different regions to understand, you know, how all the different economics and business challenges work, whether you're on the West Coast or the Northeast or the Southeast or wherever and i think if i was going to be an owner and put my own money into this business i would really want to understand my peers and that i'm going to be working with and you know how do they work with the company is it a positive relationship these are all really important things if i'm you know i want to be in a in a brand for 10 15 20 years understanding how that all works and and do they have a real voice at the table so that'd be probably one you know, i think it's an important thing it's not to me it's not just an investment like buying a security in that you really you know whether you're if you're not the you know if you're the key operator making sure that you're a part of that community so you understand what you're getting into and understand you know how do you get your your what needs that you have articulated so that they become a, a part of the national agenda
0: i think it's really interesting people come to me all the time asking which brands are the most difficult adversarial relationships with the franchisees franchisors and which ones are the easiest and I always do one of these numbers. If I'm on the phone, I just say, OK, over here, you've got this brand. Over here, you've got this brand. But I've always talked about both KFC and Pizza Hut. And it ebbs and flows based on the performance of the brands and the management teams at the corporate level. But you guys have done a good job. I mean, I would say overall, if this is really, really good relationship with the two and this one's really bad, you guys are over way over on this side relative to other brands. And I think that's important for people to hear who are potentially investing in the brands. There's been a lot of consolidation, obviously, that's happened, uh, you know, and a lot of young franchisees, you know, dy- dynamic folks hopping into the brand and getting involved in leadership at the at the IPHFHA level, at the KFC, you know, level as well, AKFC level. What do you think? Think it'll continue? You happy with it? Well,
1: we're not happy or sad with it, you know, at the end of the day, we just want operators that are running great restaurants and have a growth mindset, like they want to reinvest back into the business whether it's for the existing business or to build new stores. You know, if you're a great operator and you have a growth mindset, you know, we don't care whether you're a 5-unit operator or a 50-unit operator, right? As far as like whether we think this will continue, I mean, likely there will be continued consolidation. I mean, I, you know, you don't have to ask me that question, you see it yourself, right? Uh, but from a franchisor point of view, if you're a great operator and you have a growth mindset, we're excited about having you in our family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. That's a that's a great point. And it's a great piece of encouragement for the smaller franchisees, because there is a mindset out there that franchisors, not you guys, but just in general, want to get rid of the smaller franchisees because they're a pain in the butt. And and everyone feels it, you know. Um, and so I'm it's refreshing to hear you say that.
1: Uh, we we don't want to get rid of any franchise. We want franchisees that are great operators and have a growth mindset. Like that's how that's how we think our business over the long term will grow. Yeah, it's great.
0: It's great. Fantastic. Well, let's see. We've got a. I'll ask you a couple of uh, questions personally. You only got a couple of questions, but you know, pick one of these questions. One of these four questions. Which one of these do you think uh, to give us a thirty second answer?
1: Lunchtime pizza. KFC, a pizza. What would you order? one? that's like asking me. Like, do I love my daughter or my son more?
0: <laughs> that. Yeah, that yeah although they both try to get you to say the, the them right so you know what I mean right so that's the other piece of it yeah Casey's like you love us more you love us yeah, more.
1: and then you have yeah. some people saying what are you going to do a fried chicken pizza and the answer is likely never so <laughs>
0: that. oh that's great that's great well what would you be doing would you be playing to, would you be on the tennis circuit if you weren't playing uh yeah you weren't pl-
1: <laughs> I'd probably be in some kind of service industry I love serving like yum corporate. I love our organizations. I love serving the franchisees. It's a very sincere answer. Like I just, I probably get that from my mom. Like she was just like kind of a servant to our family and to her friends. And like, that gets me excited. Like I get excited, like seeing the sales report and or seeing how a new item does, or when a franchisee takes me aside and is like, man, like we really killed it on X. And like, that's exciting for me, right? Like I just, I love this business because we're of service to so many people. And um, I would, you know, it so it would be something in the service I think cuz I just enjoy it.
0: It's a good answer and it's something if you're a family office guy listening to this what you're going to hear from Kevin I'll just go ahead and say it is he's sounding like someone who's rolls his sleeves up and wants to run and operate a business. And that makes a big difference as opposed to someone who might fly in with a big degree and a bunch of, you know, you know, and a bunch of big, huge corporate kind of speak, but doesn't want to roll their hands up and get dirty in the business that they operate on the behalf of the franchisees and behalf of the brand. And so it's a big, I think it's a big deal. Let me tell, let me ask a couple of these questions. 30 second answers. Ready? What's your view on younger customers? To make them brand loyal in Pizza Hut. These are all Pizza Hut Well, there's one, there's one KFC, but we already uh, answered it. I, you know young I think people gotta,
1: young people, we gotta continue to evolve our digital channels. That's obviously their preferred mechanism of ordering. I think we gotta get more contemporary and modern with our you know our brand voice. I think we just launched this new campaign with Craig Robinson, which is like the perfect sweet spot of uh, of a spokesperson because People my age know him from the office, but people my daughter's age know him from the office too because Office is the most watched stream show in the history of watched stream shows, right? So, yeah. you know, and doing it in a very distinctly Pizza Hut way, if anybody's seen the ads. So, you know, it's talking to them in a, in a way that's more relevant. It's making sure we have pizzas that they get excited about. So things like Detroit style are clearly on the cusp of like internet food culture, um, and then making sure our digital channels are uh, are easy to access. And you know. Now, we see one of our key competitors in pizza has a great relationship with young people, and it's probably because their digital channels are just very, very good, and there's no reason why we shouldn't have something similar.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's great. A lot of this is technology-driven, and I, I'm, I'm frankly myself hearing this from you, Kevin, and realizing that I've probably underestimated the importance of it. What about labor shortages, minimum wage increases? Uh, How is that going to affect maybe automate? This is a long question. I talk about this a lot across a lot of channels, but automation, simplification, when you talk about higher costs of labor, labor shortages, it's been a big issue, right? Especially now in some brands where they're crushing it over last year with some of the stimulus money. And there's tons of tons of business. And, you know, the franchisee, I got one KFC franchisee telling me that he's working, uh, that he's having to work in the stores, you know, and fried chicken.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's challenging. I'm not, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it, especially because I don't run the store. So, yeah. but, you know, I do hear that consistently from franchisees all across the country. There, you know, two things I'd say on that. One, we are committed to continuing to make the store easier and easier to operate. Um, and so, you know, Monica Roth-Gary, you know, my COO on KFC, uh, Nicola Berquier, the her counterpart on Pizza Hut, like they're constantly looking at ways to take things out of the business that will not impact the customer experience but make it easier to run the restaurant so and that will continue and we'll just have to try to accelerate more of that or find bigger ideas that will help us do it but you know likely we're not you're know you not just going to automate or reduce the complexity based on the the rate of increases in these things we have to grow faster and and i think the franchisees you know acknowledge that we have to grow faster in order to to earn the labor that's required and then we're going to have to think of some new things to be able to attract reta- or uh, attract and retain more more employees, and when you go you look across the country, certain owners have um, less difficulty with this than others. It's a difficulty for everybody, right? But the ones that I see are doing better at it. Are, have more out of the box things that they're thinking about, whether it's retention bonuses or sending you know an, an employees home with a bucket of chicken once a week or little things that that allow them to feel a bit more uh, retained. Um, to that store, then you know I just make x an hour, right? So uh, I think that's always been true. I think it's just gonna put more pressure on us to have great cultures in the restaurant, have great programs in place. And then it's my job with my team to figure out what are the new things that we can bring to market, whether to make it easier to run the restaurants or to attract and retain you know more employees. But I view it as a challenge, just like any other challenge that we look at, whether it's inflation, you know, on cogs or, or regulation, or whatever it is, like we're just going to have to partner together with the franchisee leadership and find ways to to really mitigate those challenges.
0: I think it's a fantastic answer, and I'll just leave you with this before we say goodbye. I have a couple of comments here. i from Pizza Hut, guys, saying thank you. We love your leadership, product innovation versus discount. We love the product innovation. I Greg Greg Flynn wanted me to tell you that he wants that he's super excited to be a Pizza Hut franchisee. I mean, there's a KFC comment in here that. Uh, with a big thumbs up. So I just uh I just want to say thank you. Thanks for your leadership in both brands. Really appreciate uh you being here today too. It means a lot to speak with you and we're excited to see what the future holds. And let's get like like I like I usually say to folks, let's go get them, man. Let's go get them. Thank you so much for your time, Kevin. It's been an honor.
1: Hey thank you Rick. I appreciate allowing me to share about the businesses. And I just want to thank all of our franchise owners and their teams out there. You know, honestly, I came to this business seven years ago. I I didn't know anything about pizza or chicken and it wasn't for those guys. You know, I would still not know very much about it. So uh, they've been very generous with their time and, you know, I appreciate being able to serve all of them back.
0: That's awesome. That's a way to end it. Please look out for a replay and come to the website or podcast if you want to hear it. Thanks a ton, Kevin. Best to you and thanks everyone for watching.
1: Thanks so much, Rick.
0: All right. Y'all be good. See ya. Thanks so much for entering the Boiler Room today. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you like these podcasts, please listen, rate, and review. I also encourage you to visit our website at www.unbridledcapital.com for the best franchise M&A and financial resources in the industry. Our website includes webinars, podcasts, videos, white papers, and a list of our past M&A transactions. Please note that neither Rick Ormsby nor Unbridled Capital Advisors LLC give legal, financial, or tax advice. These podcasts represent opinions that have been prepared for informational purposes only. We expressly disclaim any and all liabilities that may be based on such information, errors therein, or omissions therefrom.